Gracious Father in heaven, thank you again that we can sing, that we in freedom can come here and to worship you. We thank you for the words of these songs that remind us of the great sacrifice made by our Savior Jesus Christ to redeem us, to renew us, to restore us. That we could have those words of forgiveness wash over us and allow our lives to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit to make us new creations in your sight and to be blessed every day that we walk in newness because of what you have done for us. And may we walk with freedom this morning as we continue to worship you. And may your word not be just academic this morning. May it touch lives. May it change people. May it draw us ever closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, nice to have you here this morning. Have you you been told you're a good-looking crowd? Okay? Some of you, yeah, okay, forget it, yeah. Yeah. Hey, nice to have you here this morning. We're, we're in part six, uh, the, the last message in a series called What If. Um, now, if, you, if you're just visiting today and this is the last part of the series, you can go online. You can listen to the first five messages that brought us to this point. So, um, but you're, we're in the conclusion of a series called What If. And, and just as a, a precursor, as a, a sales note for next week, uh, we're starting a four-part series called Stuck, and we're looking at what the Bible has about those moments when you feel stuck in life, that you don't know what to do, okay, when, when, when you really feel that you're in a standstill in your life. So that's coming next week, starting with our Stuck series, and really looking forward to that. But we, we, you know, for the last six weeks, um, we, we've been talking about this what if, and we've said that you ask this what if question in your life. Um, in, 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 in two major ways. The first way, first time you ask what if is when you're looking back in the past and you're saying, uh, with, with regret especially, when you go, you know, what if I had not taken that job? What if I didn't date that person? What if I didn't, you know, uh, take that job? You know, whatever. Um, and, and, and often we, we look into the, into the past with an element of regret when we ask the what-if question. The other time we ask the what-if question a lot of times is when we're looking to the future and, and there's a decision that we need to make and we say, what if I do take that job? What if we move from here to there? What if I marry this person? You know, we, we've all experienced those what-if questions. And, you know, I said that, uh, we've said for the last number of weeks that the what-if question often looms in, in, in three major areas of our lives. Um, first is, is our happiness, right? Um, and I've said our happiness is, happiness is kind of like the buzzword nowadays. And we measure our lives by the degree in which we feel happy. What are the things that make us happy, you know? Um, and, and, and we measure our 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 level of satisfaction with our life based on how happy uh, we say we are, right? And, and for many of you here this morning, you, you know there's probably, if I was to ask you what would make you happier today, I would almost guarantee there would be one thing that you could probably almost immediately say that would elevate your level of happiness if that was to happen in your life, right? Second thing we said was significance. Who am I? You know, are, am I happy with the type of person I am, the way, the, the way I, I, I've been wired? You know, am I happy as, a, as, as, as the person I am? You know, our significance 
right? We've talked about this, this thing called significance. And the third thing we've talked about is our purpose. Am I happy with what I do? Am I satisfied with what I do? And, you know, in the end, is my life going to matter for something? Is it, is it, is it a life that at, at, the, at the very end, people are going to say that was absolutely meaningful? It was important that they were a part of this world, important that they were a part of my life. All, all of those kinds of things. So happiness, significance, purpose, are all those things, are those kind of three arenas in our lives that, that we live with and we struggle with and we try to find you know, satisfaction in those particular areas. And, you know, and, and as we've gone through this series, last week we came upon, I, I think, a, a, a kind of a, a, a discovery and, and what we said last week is that you take all the experiences of life, all the situations of life, and the thing that is the most important thing in life is this thing called faith. That faith is what makes all of life worthwhile. That faith is the one ingredient that when added to your life makes all the difference in the world. Um, we, we made this statement last week that I think is a pretty, pretty powerful statement. And we talked about people who do not have faith. And we said this, that a faithless life is shackled to its circumstances. Okay? Um, if, if you don't have faith and, and you believe that you've got to make it in life on your own and, and you are the person that has to make it all happen, your happiness is going to be directly related to the circumstances of your life, right? Um, if you're a person uh, who's trying to make a name for themselves of significance and you think it all depends on you, you, you know, your significance is going to be tied to your circumstances, Right? You're going to, like, how many people love me? How many people follow me on Twitter? Do I have a lot of Facebook friends? And if you're, you know, if you're judging the value of your life by the number of Facebook friends you got, oh, (laughs) right? Um, Because almost anybody will be your friend on Facebook, right? Okay? Um, All right. I hit some nerves, okay? Um, But purpose is, is another thing, right? Um, satisfaction with your life in terms of what you do. You know, if you don't do something that's, that's considered important in your eyes, you know, that can hurt. If you're tied to the circumstances of what you do, who you are, what makes you happy, all those kinds of things. But a life of faith is built on something much more dynamic, much more dramatic. It's built from the inside out. It's built in a trust in God. It's built in things that, are, that supersede the circumstances and the situations of our life in a much more dramatic way. That whatever becomes a circumstance in our life becomes temporary. Becomes temporary. That faith is built internally and faith is built eternally. That those are two things. There are two things that the externals of life cannot give you with full measure. And that's why faith is such an important ingredient in life. And we've said this um, many times before, that faith is not built on the provable things of life. Okay, that, that, might, that might bother some of you. But faith is built on the undeniable and the, per, and the personal things that happen in your life. That's how faith is built. You see, you can't, you know, you know as much as it may contribute to somebody's faith, we can't argue somebody based on the creation-evolution debate to become a believer. The gay marriage debate. The why is there evil in the world debate. 
You don't, you don't, you know, they may contribute to a person coming to faith, but for most people, they don't have a checklist that says, you know, if I, if I get all these things answered, then I will become a believer. The reality is for most people, God is an abstraction for most people out there. And until God becomes personal, until God becomes real, until God's truth becomes an undeniable part of their life, they're, they're, they're not you know, going to become a believer unless that happens. And here's the, here's the, the strange thing. In, in my experience, people who become believers, um, I've, I've yet to know anybody come to being a believer because they had all their questions answered perfectly the way they wanted it. In fact, most people become believers and still have all these doubts. It's because God became very personal to them. And suddenly, the fact and the reality of God's truth becoming personal and real in their life took away all the, all the doubts that they had about all this other stuff. I know so many people, so many believers, and if we're brutally honest with ourselves, we have faith in God, deep commitment, follow Jesus Christ, but doesn't mean that we have all our answers figured out when it comes to some of these questions, do we? And we live with that tension. And for many of us, the longer we are our believers... Here's, here's a, a kind of neat thing. The longer we're believers, the more intimately that we walk with God, the less those questions become important. You know? Um, when I first became a believer, I was just consumed with the whole evolution um, creation debate. Um, and and I'm, I'm saying this with a lot of respect, but I don't care today at all. I really don't. Okay, um, and, and it's, just, it's just where I am personally in my own faith. It doesn't matter. See, I believe in a God that if he used whatever, he used whatever, right? I'm not, you know, and I know there's a biblical picture and all that kind of stuff, but it doesn't matter to me, okay? And, and that's, that's just the reality. But for, 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 for many of you here, the, the faith replaces the checklist, doesn't it? The faith replaces the checklist. And you live with those tensions. But over time, the, the things that you doubted and the things that became, you thought were important in terms of having to have answered no longer become important. And you know what's really funny? You know, how many, isn't it odd that those questions are the very questions that people that lose faith are driven by? Does, isn't, that, isn't that strange? How many people refuse to have faith because they, they're not satisfied with why is there evil in the world, right? Or why is it, you know, how many people won't come to faith because of that? And the reality is it's kind of missing the whole point, isn't it? Right? So all of, all of that to say that God has given us, through his word, through his spirit, enough evidence for real, viable faith that is built on tangible, undeniable aspects of the faith, right? And the reality is, could we absolutely worship a God that we knew everything about? It's good that... You know, I, I, I have this theory that if God dumped into your brain all of a sudden all the things about him so you knew everything about him, your head would explode. It'd be a real mess in this room. 
right? God has given us enough to believe in him, to be confident in what we believe in, to be confident in the undeniable aspects of our faith. But God is so big. God is so majestic. God is so beyond our capacity to understand and fully grasp him, right? But God has given us enough to help us understand and obey him. I mean, enough to obey him, not necessarily enough to fully understand him. Okay? Are we good? Okay. Actually, that's the intro. I haven't even gotten to the content of the (laughs) message. I I have this rant about faith, okay, if if you haven't noticed. I have this. It it is to me, and I I think biblically we improve, the most important thing in life. And yet it is absolutely trashed by everyone and everything. And, And yet it is the most vital component of life that God has brought into this existence, okay? So, we're, you know, as we're talking about faith, how do you understand this thing called faith? And if you're a believer here this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ in any way, shape, or form, you've struggled with this one thing that we're going to talk about today. You've struggled with it, and you've tried to figure it out, and, you've, and you're probably even wrestling with it right now. And the thing that we're talking about this morning is the will of God, okay? Is the will of God. So we're going to give you a kind of blueprint this morning, but we're going to look at a passage out of Colossians where the Apostle Paul is sending a, has sent a letter to the Colossian church, and, and uh, Colossae is in kind of central Turkey, of modern Turkey. And it was a, a letter that rotated to the number of the different churches in that particular area. And Paul is encouraging these new believers to maintain faithfulness in their walk with Jesus Christ. Okay, not to be distracted by all these other things that can come into their life. That the central and key important thing in their life is this thing called faith in Jesus Christ. So he's encouraging them to do that. And we're looking at the first chapter of Colossians. Um, I was going to read the whole chapter uh, because it's just amazing stuff. But I settled for these two verses and I argued with myself for an hour about just boiling it down to these two verses. But you really should take time to read the entire chapter. It's absolutely brilliant. But this is a prayer of Paul to these new believers in in Colossae. And, And this is what he writes. He said, So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. Great promise. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will. Okay? Every believer has struggled with that particular component in their walk, okay? And to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. And by the way, I would argue, again, that's a whole other sermon series, but spiritual wisdom is dramatically different than the wisdom of, of, that we commonly... No, actually, I, there, there's very little wisdom today, if I can say that. We're in a knowledge-based society, but no wisdom, okay? It's all information, don't know how to use it. Okay? Um, that's my personal belief, but knowledge is only as, far, as good as the wisdom that goes alongside of it to use it. Okay? So, Bible uses wisdom as opposed to just knowledge for knowledge's sake. Okay? We're the first generation, uh, I heard, whose kids do not need their parents to teach them anything. Did you know that? They can, they can Google anything. So if you're trusting your kids to Google, shame on you. Anyway. 
We're the first generation where the kids do not need the parents to teach them anything because they can Google it and they don't need mom and dad anymore. Um, Okay, Uh, spiritual wisdom, another tangent and understanding. Um, I love the beginning of verse 10. It says, then. Notice that then is very, very important. Then, the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Now, this is the the deal I was talking about earlier with faith, is that something happens when you start this walk with God. And the more intimate you become in relationship to the person of Jesus Christ, and you walk in faithfulness in that relationship, you grow deeper and deeper in your love and in your walk for God. Okay, And the things that you thought were important before pale. The things that you thought were going to be the things that would be important in your life, you know, the things of happiness, significance, and purpose, all of those things pale or should pale in comparison when you have an authentic walk with Jesus Christ. All right? And this is what Paul's alluding to. And the thing that Paul is praying for is that they understand the will of God. Okay? So... You know, to, to kind of close out the series, I've had a number of people ask me about this, and, 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 and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tread on extremely dangerous uh, territory. I'm going to give you a grid to help understand the will of God. All right, if you, if you knew how fearful I am at this point in time of, of, of to do this. But to understand God's will, okay, firstly, you've got to understand that, that the Bible uses the will of God in three different ways. All right? The first one is the providential will of God. Okay? That's the very first one. Now, the providential will of God is we can't do anything about it. God is God, and God will do whatever he wants. Okay? Um, If God decides, you know, the end of the world, it's done. If, you know, God decided to raise up the nation of Israel to send Jesus, you know, all that kind of stuff, that's based on the providential will of God. That's not really something that we pray about. We may pray for the end of the world. We might be that kind of bent or whatever. But um, God is God, and God will do what he does. That's the providential will of God. The second thing is his moral will. Okay? This is uh, the commands, the moral and ethical teachings of the Bible. Um, And and this is part of where where many of us struggle. Right? Right? Many of the dilemmas that we face in in our culture today are based on the moral and ethical teachings of God. Now, a lot of theologies put these two as the only two, but I'm going to give you a third this morning and break the kind of second one into a third category for a reason, okay? Um, When it comes to the moral will and the providential will of God, they are the non-negotiables in the Bible, okay? Now, it might bother you to hear me say that, but a lot of the moral, cultural, ethical components that we struggle with in our culture today have already been answered in the Bible. I know that bothers some of you, all that kind of stuff. In fact, it's so hot in here. All right. Here's, here, I, just read, I just read yesterday, um, uh, Cary Grant and Sophia Loren, you remember those two? Any of those of you that remember that time period? Um, <laughs> 
Okay, I thought this was a really neat story. Um, I said it in the first service, and they all fell asleep on me, but I thought this was a really funny story. Um, you know, did, did you know that uh, Sophia Loren, I think she was 23 years old, and was working this movie in Italy, and Cary Grant was the, the star. Cary Grant was on his third marriage at the time, and he became so enamored with her that he, he wanted to have an affair with her. Okay? L- Sophia Loren tells the story of how he approached her, you know how he approached her? He asked her to pray about it. Like, that's creepy. Can we have an affair? And she's going, well, you know, he goes, well, the two of us will pray about it and see if it's right for us to be immoral. But that's, 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 that's the true story. I just read it yesterday. Anyway, and I just thought that's really funny, right? But don't we know... That, that's kind of like the moral will of God. We don't pray about that stuff because you, you know it's wrong, right? Oh, okay. I thought that was a cool story, but... <laughs> All right. I know it goes back in time. Maybe I should have found a Lady Gaga story or something. Um, but, but number three is his personal will, is God's personal will. This, and I, like I said, I've separated uh, the second one out with his personal will because this is where the rubber meets the road for many of us. Right? And what is God's personal will for me? Does God have a particular path? All that kind of stuff. It's where we start asking a lot of the what-if questions, okay? About my relationship with God, etc., etc., etc. So his personal will is really, really important. And this is where I'm going to get dangerous. I'm going to give you this kind of grid to help discern the personal will of God for your life. Like, what happens when you come into this what-if situation? Like, what are the steps that you need to take? How do you, how do you approach this whole will of God thing and, and get a sense as to what kind of direction God is going to lean you towards, okay? Are you ready? Here we go. Number one, does it go against the moral, ethical teaching of Scripture? You know, somebody at the first service said to me, you missed one point, and I'm going to just say it right now. You're going to want to please God and, and, and figure out the moral will of God, okay? So it's, you need to have the motivation and desire to do that first, okay? That's, that's really important. But does it go against the moral and ethical teaching of the Bible? Now, the really hard part about this particular one is you've got to know your Bible, right? That's, isn't that the tough one about, about this, the moral and ethical teaching? Um, my, you know, with all the students that, that I have at, at the college and seminary, um, whenever they ask me about this, I always say to them, is there something that happens in your gut when you feel like you're going to go in this direction? And a lot of times they say, well, yeah. I said, well, maybe you're going against the moral, ethical teachings of the Bible. Because if you have some stress about it, if there's some tension in you about it, then maybe... Something is wrong. Uh, here's the second thing. When I pray, what does he say? Okay? We have turned prayer into, again, this is a, a big thing. Uh, we've turned prayer into help me, bless me, give me. And we've internalized and individualized prayer so much that we've lost the sense of praying for God's will to be done in his church, to be done for the kingdom of God, 
to expand the kingdom of God. But we've turned prayer so much into this uh, slot machine of getting what I want from God um, as opposed to hearing the voice of God say to us the direction he wants us to go or the things that he wants us to do. I think one of the reasons the church in North America has become absolutely impotent is because we've internalized our prayers so much, we're not even praying for the things that matter on God's heart anymore. That is not to say, please don't hear me say that you can't pray for things personally for God to do for you. That's only one piece of the puzzle. But if you're not taking time to hear from God's voice, to seek the things that great God wants greater in your life as part of what, who, the community you're a part of and the church that you belong to, then you are missing out on an important part of prayer. That's a whole, that's a 10-part sermon series, and we did that a year and a half ago. So you can go online and listen to that one too. All right? I'm just full of advertisements today, ain't I? Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, number, number three, can I define the tension in the decision? Well, you know, we talked a little bit about that just a, a couple of minutes ago, right? The tension in the decision. You know, it, is there something? And you know what? Pay attention to the tension, right? I think Andy Stanley was the one that said that. Is pay attention to the tension. Oftentimes, the Spirit of God is prompting something in you. Then the tension that you feel is something that you should pay attention to because that tension means something does something, hurts something, prompts you to something, okay? So pay attention to that tension. That's the Spirit of God tugging at you to, to, to you know, to, to listen up, all right? Number four, does it, this fit with the way God made me? You know, um, you know, we've all have particular gifts. We all have particular ways that we are wired with God. And all this. Does this fit with who God has made me as a person? Does this make sense in my life? Is this okay in my life? All right, so that's, that's number four. Number five, what do others that I trust say? See, this is a, this is a really cool point. Um, you know, somebody, somebody just in the very first service said to me that, that they were wrestling with a, a decision and they wrestled with it for a long, long, long time. And it was just tearing them apart trying to figure out this decision. And they said they went to somebody else that they trusted and they knew. And within an hour, it was obvious to the two of them what the decision was. And it was like crystal clear, but they couldn't see it themselves. Right? And it was just amazing. And, and, and to be a believer and have someone in your life who you can trust to tell you the truth... Okay, very important, right? Second part of that is that you have to be willing to hear the truth. We don't, we don't necessarily do that very well, okay? What do others that I trust say? And depend on their counsel and see what they say. Because oftentimes, guys... Don't you oftentimes feel that God is speaking through your wife? <laughs> I should have never opened that one up. John, John. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah. Do not send me an email. I will not answer. 
It's part of the secret club. Yeah, yeah. Ladies, <laughs> does God sometimes speak through your husband, right? You, you know, isn't it, isn't it amazing that sometimes um, it's other, it takes others, even with our kids, right? You know, when we were raising our kids, we made sure that we had people that we trusted who had the same values as us, that when the kids wouldn't listen to Darlene and I, we could say, you know, don't take our word for it. Go talk to so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, you know? Um, and that made a big difference because there was times that we had friends in our lives that would reinforce what, what we were teaching our kids. And for some reason, you know, I, it's just human nature. They heard those people better than they heard us. Okay? Very, you know, it's, 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 it's just part of what it is. So, so there's the grid right there, but there's other thoughts that you've got to consider, okay? And here are the other thoughts you've got to consider. Am I allowing fear and doubt to stop me from moving forward? Right? I don't know how many times um, I, I know people and they said, I, I, you know, I wish I had have done that. What if I had have done that? And you find out it was some kind of fear, some kind of doubt that stopped them from moving forward. And here's the thing. Most of the time, when you look at the big picture, when you look at the, the big place you're trying to go to, it's going to scare you. A lot of times, it's going it's to you know, instill fear in you in such a way. All God really asks us to do when it comes to those moments is take the first step. And it's amazing when we take the first step and when we take the next step and God is walking alongside us that how much easier it gets as the journey gets towards the goal that you believe God is taking you to. And it makes a huge difference. But for some of you this morning, you just need to take the first step. Here's number two. Am I open to a possible mid-course correction? Don't think God won't give you a detour at some point. Okay, but expect it. it it's, it's very possible that, that could happen. You see, when we talk about the will of God, we always think of it in a straight line. It's not necessarily always in a straight line. It's going to have a few curves, a few bends, a couple of valleys, maybe a mountaintop or two, but it's not going to be totally in a straight line. Okay, and, and, and you know, don't be afraid of a mid-course correction. Um, number three, this is a really tough one. Am I open to God leading me into a season of difficulty? This is an oucher because when it comes to God's will, we all think it's all sunshine, roses, lollipops, rainbows. God could be leading you into a season of difficulty in order to give you something that he wants to use in you at a later date. You will never have the power of empathy without experiencing situations that will foster in you a heart of empathy. You will never have the kind of compassion that God has unless he takes you through a season of something that will grow in you a season of compassion. You will never have the love that, of sacrificial love that God talks about and was experienced by Jesus and given to the world by Jesus if we have not gotten through a season that's going to force in us the ability 
to have sacrificial love. That's just a reality. And God may be taking you through a season of your life. I've said this many, many times. The most difficult season of my life, the season I would never, ever, ever have wanted to go through, um, was, is probably today the thing that um, I cherish the most. Because it absolutely transformed everything about my life, my faith, everything. Put everything into perspective. Everything into perspective. But I never, never would have had that had I not experienced the season that God took me through. Even though if somebody said, you want to relive it? Absolutely not. It was too painful. Okay? Number four. Do I need to lead or follow in this situation? Some of us, you know, just, just need to be in charge. And there's times where God wants us to follow. Okay? Now, here's, here's the thing. Everyone who is a believer here this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's exactly what you are. You're a follower first and foremost. But there are times that God calls people to lead in circumstances. You need to hear that clearly. And you need to be able to follow through on that clearly. There are times when God is calling you to stand up, take a leadership role, walk through the motions, do something that's significant, right? And there's other times where God's probably telling you, it's not your turn to lead. You need to allow somebody else to do it. You need to follow and you need to be faithful. Okay? Do I have an issue with authority? No. All right. You, you know what? Sometimes it's very hard for us to experience what God wants to do in our lives because we have trouble with authority. We have trouble with being submissive in a situation or obedient in a situation, faithful in a situation. And that often becomes a boundary for us. Number six, can I live with the worst case scenario? Now, I said in the very first service that this is the mo- one of the most, when I learned this in business school, it was the most brilliant uh, one-line uh, takeaway that, that, that I learned. And I think it's a powerful leadership lesson. It's a powerful life lesson. If you say to God, you know, you're opening up this door. If I walk through this door, you're going to ask God, what's going to happen? But if you think in your own mind, what's the worst case scenario? What's the worst case? If I open, go through this door, if I take these steps, if, if I marry this person, if I take this job, if I move away and all that kind of stuff, what is the worst case scenario? And you know, often in your own mind, you can play out the worst case scenario. And if you're not good with the worst case scenario, you're going to wrestle absolutely with what God wants to do in your life. So the first thing you need to be doing is praying to God about the worst case scenario. And can I manage it? And it's a great leadership lesson too because you know, you know, when you get together with leaders and you're, you're going to do something dramatically, uh, a big change in an organization or something, and you say, what's the worst case scenario? If we take this step, if we build this thing, if we collect this money, if we change this, what's the worst case scenario? And if the worst case scenario ever transpires or happens, you were prepared. But I don't know how many times you've got something that's going to be a significant change in your life. You haven't thought about the worst case scenario and you get to the end and everybody starts you know, pointing fingers and blaming everybody. Right? Isn't that what happens? Okay, I've lost you all. All right. Can I live? And here's, here's, the, here's the out for everyone. Here's the out. 
If it's a really that bad of a decision, God will either redirect it, redeem it, or shut it down. Okay? I believe, I believe in a God that can take any situation, any circumstance, any path, and redeem it and redirect it. And if you end up in the wrong place, I think God is big enough to redirect your life, open up doors, and, and, and get you back on, on track. I really do. Problem is, is do we, do we, are, you know, are we willing to hear his voice when those things happen? Right? I tell you, I, I experienced this in a, in, in a big way once in, in my life. As I made a decision, we were going down this road, we got down this road. I cannot believe that at a certain point, everything shut down. Uh, you know, like, no, my wife's not in here. I, I'm just going to make her come up and tell a story. But it was unbelievable. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, where you just get to the end of the road and it's like nothing. And, and God, and all, all we did is, is we said, okay, Lord, what's next then? Because we're really confused. And I could not believe the, the, that very weekend, all this stuff opened up over here. See, I believe in a God that if I take a wrong step and I'm open to the leading of God's spirit, that he'll get me back on track. I hope you believe that too so that's our grid for the personal will of God now what if what if faith is the most important thing in life what if all our circumstances all our situations all our experiences the sum totality of everything in life boils down to this thing called faith. What difference would it make in your life if you place faith in the one who paid it all for you? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever has success... Or whoever has given the most, or whoever has achieved the most, or the one who has sacrificed the most. Is that what it says? No. It said that whoever believes, believes, has faith, trusts in Jesus will not perish but have everlasting life. Faith is that important. What if faith is what makes all the difference in life? I'm going to pray in a minute. I'm going to ask that as you're sitting there, there might be some of you here who have never you know, prayed or asked God to open their hearts up to him. You've never, you've never thought about praying to Jesus and allowing Jesus to come into your life and to make a difference. And probably this thing is new to you in the sense of this, this thing called faith, and you're just trying to wrestle with it all. I want to pray for you this morning. 
And for those of you that are here that have been believers a long time, you know, I hope this series has helped to kind of reinforce a number of things that we kind of instinctively know, but maybe have lost along the way. And in the midst of a culture that, that you know, ridicules faith and ridicules the things of faith, like, isn't it, isn't it surprising? You know, it shouldn't be surprising to you that faith is such a battleground, Right? So let me pray for you, and if, if, if you do, if you're a person here this morning and you decide that you want to start a relationship with Jesus, you know, I don't, I'm not going to ask you to make any, raise your hand or anything like that, but could you just whisper it to me as you go out the door this morning? I, I would love to hear that story and, and, and help you along in your journey as you, as you walk with Christ, and as a church, we would love to come alongside you and help you as, as you, you begin that, okay? So let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for this thing called faith. And Lord, it gets abused and tossed around and minimized and ridiculed in our culture. And yet to you, it is the most important thing. It is the ingredient that makes all of life worthwhile. It's what transforms the circumstantial and the temporal into things of eternity. So, Lord, we want to pray this morning for those that you may be touching through this message. I want to pray for that person or those people who are asking that you would open up their heart to you this morning. I pray that your spirit would be prompting them and that they would say yes to Jesus and allow a life of faith to move them beyond their present circumstances to the hope that they can have of eternity and a walk with you that's dynamic, alive, and exciting. And Lord, for those of us here this morning who are believers who have walked by faith for so long, thank you for reinforcing in us a desire to be renewed by your very word, to be strengthened by the faith that we can so easily take for granted and be thankful for Jesus who paid it all for us so that our lives would never be the same. Because Jesus has touched us in real, undeniable, and personal ways. And our checklist of questions we need answered no longer matter. They're thrown aside because God is greater, Jesus is better, and faith is eternal. So we thank you, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.